We're going to be in Genesis chapter 4, mostly chapter 5, but we'll start at the end of chapter 4. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, you can find it printed in the bulletin. As we continue the story of Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel, and the family, and how God's grace is running through the family lines. Uh, Let me read to you, uh, beginning in verse 25, and I'll warn you today, um, there's a lot of names and a lot of uh, numbers. Don't get lost, and I'm going to help you see, uh, I hope I help you see how good this stuff is uh, for our understanding of God. Uh, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also was born a son. He called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image, and he named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 102 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When, Enoch, when Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived, after he had fathered Kenan, 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived, after he fathered Mahalalel, 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived, after he fathered Jared, 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived, after he fathered Enoch, 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he had fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he followed Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he followed his son and he called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he had fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The word of the Lord. 
Now, <clears throat> okay, l- l- let's talk about this. Uh, l- last uh, week we spoke about common grace and special grace. Remember that? Uh, common grace and special grace can be distinguished in many different ways. And let me just ask you this. What were some of the things that God did through his common grace for the family of Cain? Let's just do a quick review. Some of the things God did for the family of Cain by common grace. Music. Music. Musical instruments were invented by Cain's grandson. Tools. Tools made out of metal, bronze and iron. Also his grandson. Yeah. City. You know, Cain himself. And you are letting Ben take all the answers, right? Uh, Cain built, uh, built the city, and he named it after his son Enoch. That was the beginning of human civilization. What else? I guess Ben can answer. <laughs> He's got it open, so yeah. Animal husbandry. Animal husbandry, yeah. So uh, Cain's uh, grandson, again, developed... Uh, living in tents and traveling around, uh, you know, with the livestock, uh, kind of nomadic herding. He developed that idea. And so what we see there is that even though Cain's family wasn't saved in, in the terms that we would use, they didn't know God personally, yet God continued to pump a whole lot of blessings their way. And actually through Cain's family, God created the foundations of all human civilization. Because which one of those four or five things that we just listed do we not benefit from even to this very day? Every one of them. Uh, We live in a city, even if it's a small one. Um, We we live in a civilization of cities where there's a lot of benefits that come from that. We, you know, obviously, you know, um, benefit a whole lot from animal husbandry every single day and what we eat, what we put on. What we drink, even. I mean, there's lots of ways. Ice cream, isn't that good? Comes from Cain's grandson. Isn't that? You milk the cow, you make the cream. Um, same thing with uh, the met, you know, metalworking and tools and all those kinds of things. Now, we also saw that in all of those things, even though they were gifts of God, because they were gifts given to sinful people, they've also all been used in bad ways as well throughout history. And you could look at every one of those things we listed and also notice a bad way. Like, for example, the metal tools. Not only were they used to make, you know, beautiful ornaments and things to till the ground with, they've also been used to make weapons to kill people. Bronze and iron, you know, especially the iron. Uh, This, in fact, kind of is describing kind of the beginnings of what we know as the Iron Age. Uh, and, And the Iron Age was defined by... Big armies, or for that day, big armies that had iron chariots and iron weapons, and they went out with massive numbers to just mow people over. And so God's common grace comes, but it doesn't save. It simply sustains. And sometimes uh, people, or all the time, we, we, all people, abuse common grace by taking good things of God and twisting them to bad ends. Look at all those gifts again. How many of, this is kind of a, not a trick question. I think you'll know the answer just by me asking the question. How many of those things that God gave to Cain's family had in subsequent generations been actually worshipped as idols by human beings? Every one of them. Animals, musical instruments, 
Obviously, they used the metal to make the gods, like the golden calf, you know, that Aaron, Aaron just, he said he threw the gold in the fire and boom, out came this calf, you know, which we know is not exactly what happened, but that was his excuse. And that was common throughout human history to take the good gifts of God and to abuse them. And so we saw last week that we have to learn as Christians to, to be able to discern both the good gifts of God in the world while at the same time being able to discern their abuse. If we're not able to discern between those two things, we can get caught in friendly fire. Um, you know, we used some examples last week of that where a good gift of God gone bad, uh, instead of us blaming ourselves that it's our wicked hearts that made them bad, we blame the thing. Um, one example we didn't get into last week, but it's a big one, was just simply sex. A uh, good gift of God. Actually, what keeps the world going? Uh, has sex been abused by human beings? Big time. It has been maybe the cause of most problems in the world, maybe more than anything else. Uh, and, and there were times in religious history, even in Christian history, where people falsely said, well, the solution is just cut sex out. And so the various monastic movements which said, you don't get married, be a celibate for the rest of your life. Uh, one early church father even castrated himself. Uh, his name was Origen. In Egypt, he castrated himself uh, out of a false idea about how a good gift of God gone bad is the, is the fault of the gift rather than the self. And so he said how important that is not to fight God's good gifts, but to fight our sin within. We're to blame when we take God's good things and twist them to a bad end. And that may very well mean that we're called to abstain from certain things at different times in our lives for the good of ourselves and others. But that should never mean that we call God's good things bad, right? Now, that's where we got last week. Tonight, we want to look at how special grace or saving grace begins to flow out through the human race. And this time it goes not mainly through Cain's line, but through Seth's line. And we'll pick it up there in verse 25 where I started reading. And I want to basically make two points tonight, very, very simply. First, I want to try to define what special grace is and what it does. And then I want to look for clues in Seth's family tree that we read, that long section with all the long lives. I want to look for clues that these people actually are being saved from their sin. Uh, if This is not a perfect analogy, but this is now the first point, okay? It's not a perfect analogy to start with, but this is where I'll start. Uh, have you ever heard of palliative care? Uh, of course, right? Well, what is palliative care? Symptom management. So give me an example, Kim, Miss uh, Nurse, um, resident nurse. Chronic disease, like they have a chronic heart issue. Yep. They can help manage that issue so that it helps you have a quality of life versus staying time. But am I right in assuming that palliative care does not actually cure Correct. the underlying problem? That's right. Now, a cure for the heart problem would be what? A new heart. A new heart? <laughs> that would be a, that'd be a, that'd be a very good cure. There could be lesser, before you get a new heart transplant, you could clean out, get the rotor-rooter and all that kind of stuff that you sometimes need and the different valves and all that. I don't know all the details there, but there's a bunch of things that can happen to cure the problem of the heart versus palliative care. 
It's almost like if we were talking last week about common grace, it's kind of like God's palliative care for a fallen world. Uh, it, it didn't save anybody in Cain's family, but it did make life more bearable, and it, through them, made life a lot more bearable and more enjoyable for everybody else. But it didn't save. Tonight, as we look at verse 25, we're going to start to see how God saves. It's not just that he's trying to ease the symptoms of sin. He's actually fixing the underlying problem of sin. And uh, you see that first in what Eve says about her son. Uh, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she bore a son. And called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed. You might want to underline or look at that word appointed. It's very important. The name Seth in Hebrew sounds like the Hebrew word for appoint or appointed. God has appointed for me another offspring like the one I had before. Instead of the one I had before, Abel, because Cain killed him. Now, what's the significance of the word appoint? Well, remember why God or why Eve had called her first son Cain. Do you remember that? Uh, back up in chapter 4, verse 1. What did Cain's name sound like in Hebrew? Do you see it? You might, if you don't have a Bible, you won't see it because I don't have the footnotes in what we printed. But if you have a Bible with footnotes, you'll see it. Gotten. The word Cain sounds like the word for got or gotten. And she said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Uh, which was a statement of faith, but I think you'll agree for her to say now God has appointed for me a son is a far stronger and more trusting kind of phrase than just I've gotten a man by the help of the Lord. Uh, and, and so what, what has happened here is Eve is now expressing her faith that God is in the absence of Abel, who was a faithful man, who did worship God rightly, who did have a saving relationship with God. In the absence of Abel, God is now doing something very special. He's not just helping me get a son. He's appointing for me a son to replace Abel. And the replacement here is not just, okay, Abel was a man. He's a man. Abel took care of animals. He's going to take care of animals. It's more than just surface things. It's Abel was a man of God. And now God has appointed for me another man of God. Not just for me, but he's appointed for humanity. Another man of God who's going to be willing to live for God and to raise his family for the Lord. I mean, think about it for just a minute. And I think you'll see what I'm, why I'm making such a big deal out of the word appointed. Um, once Abel died, what did Adam and Eve's prospects for the future look like? Put yourself back in their shoes if you can. There are things we don't know, like I'm sure they had many other children besides Cain and Abel. We know that they did, so they had a big family, but Cain was the main leader. As they're watching that play out, they're believers. How are they feeling about the future of the world from their family after Abel died? right and they lived to see all that they lived such long lives you know, they lived to see Cain build the city they lived to see all their great grandchildren make all these cool things but yet they were killing each other uh, their prospects were not very bright spiritually even though the prospects of their family were pretty bright materially and there's a really important lesson in this 
a lot of times our hopes, dreams, prayers for our children are pretty extraordinarily material. We spend a lot of time thinking about the education our kids are going to get, which means the job they're going to get, which means the money they're going to make, which means the ease of life and quality of life they're going to have, the spouse that they're going to be able to get, the grandchildren. The, you know, We think about all that stuff, and that stuff's not, not bad. But without the spiritual blessing of a heart renewed for God to worship him, what is all that stuff? Um, God's call is for us to pray and work for the spiritual good of our children and their children even more than we work for the material. It's not that we should stop working for the material, keep doing that, but add to it a double portion of, of desire to see your children and grandchildren walk with the Lord. That was what was on Eve's heart. That's why he says, oh man, I'm going to call him Seth because God appointed a man to walk with God just like Abel did because Lord knows Cain ain't. He's doing all the opposite things. But now Abel is being replaced. And indeed, that's what happens. If you look at verse 26, it uses that phrase that I've already pointed out to you, so we won't spend much time on it. But Seth was born and he had a child. His name was Enoch, or Enosh, excuse me. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord again. And that phrase, call on the name of the Lord, throughout the Old Testament, you can find it everywhere. And it always means people knowing God and worshiping Him rightly. That's what it means. To call on the name of the Lord is worship and knowing God. And it says here that through Seth's family, the one appointed by God, people once again began to know God. Do we see that as the most important thing that we can have in our lives? And do we see that as the most important thing we can pass on to our children, grandchildren, and their children? Do we spend as much of our effort on knowing God and worshiping God so as to pass it on as we do all those other things? I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip, not by any means. I'm trying to win us to a beautiful vision of special grace being better than just common grace. Having a personal relationship with God is better than just getting God's good stuff. Even though both are good, I'll grant you that. It's way better to know God in a personal way. Uh, one of the Protestant reformers, uh, one of my favorite reformers named John Calvin, he said, there are two things on which the whole Christian faith depends. And I love his answer. He says, the first thing is this, how people can worship God rightly. And the second one is how people can be saved from their sin. And he said, those, were, those two are the things that whole Christianity depends on those things. And actually, it should go in that order. Fathers always come before sons. Therefore, God always comes before men. And to worship God rightly is more of a priority even than the salvation of sinful people. In fact, the only reason the salvation of sinful people is that cool is because those people become worshipers of God who deserves the worship and the praise. <laughs> and, and if you take John Calvin's comment and you apply it to this story, you see what I'm saying. Cain had all these things, but he did not have those two things. 
And it's God's special saving grace that delivers those two things back to people who've lost them. We, by nature, by our sin, have lost how to worship God and how to be saved. We don't have any idea. We don't know the right answer from Adam's house cat to either of those two questions. Even though people think they always know the answer to those two questions. You cannot find a human on this planet who doesn't think they know the answer to those two questions. With confidence, usually. Even though most people do not know <laughs> the answer to those questions. And yet what saving grace does is it restores those, those, those answers, not from our own ideas and the figments of our imaginations, but from God's own character. And, and the way especially God has revealed himself through Jesus, his son. Uh, if, if you look at the uh, family trees of the two boys, you'll see kind of this begin to play out. Uh, let me point out two things. Um, the family tree of Cain in chapter 4 and the family tree of Seth in chapter 5 are, are equally the same in length in terms of the generations. And there's a massive contrast in the seventh generation. Seventh from Cain was Lamech, the one who killed the teenager and boasted about it to his two wives. But the seventh from Seth was Enoch, the one who walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Do you see the difference there between the family that said, we're going to make God and worshiping him and being saved by him the priority, versus we're just going to build some cities, have some animals, make some metal tools, and play some sweet musical instruments, you know? Okay, cool, right? Those, none of those things are bad. They're good gifts, but, uh, you know, they fall a little flat in comparison to the walking with God, and what you get is in one generation there's murder, in the other generation there's a life of walking with the Lord. We'll see more about that in a minute. Also, there are two Lamechs in the two family trees. There's a Lamech in the seventh generation after Cain who killed the teenager. And then there's the Lamech in the, uh, about the eighth or ninth generation after um, Seth who uh, names his son Noah. And the word Noah means relief. Or salvation. Big difference, right? I mean, one, one Lamech boasts about killing a teenager. The other Lamech names his son Relief because he knows God's going to bring salvation to the world. Big difference. There are three sons at the end of both family trees. Um, Lamech ends up having, you know, Jabel, Tubal, and the other one. I forgot the name of uh, Jabel Tubal and the one that doesn't rhyme. And th those are great. That's a great trio of brothers. Like we said, they made all these wonderful things that are gifts for humanity. The three sons at the end of Seth's line are Jim, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah. And it's through them that you not, don't just get cool tools, but you get the foundations of salvation. Not just civilization sustained, but civilization renewed. After the flood. You see, I mean, there's just this beautiful, well, there's a whole theology of grace in these two chapters, is what I'm trying to say. On the one hand, the grace of God to sustain life in the world. On the other hand, the grace of God to actually solve the sin problem, to grant forgiveness, new life, to, to establish a right knowledge of God and a worship of him, to bring salvation, and to eventually bring them and the whole world into glory. 
you couldn't get a starker difference. And I read this and think, man, I want to be on team special grace. And that's the whole point, right? Um, you know, at the whole book of, of uh, Genesis really kind of traces the story. There's two seeds. And it, it makes you want, by the end of the story, to say, I want to be on that team and not this. I want to be a part of this seed. Seth's and Noah's and Abraham's and Jacob's. I don't want to be a part of Cain's and Lamech's and, you know. In fact, we'll see in chapter 6 next week that one of the reasons the flood came is because the sons of men looked at the daughters of women and married them and had children with them. And a lot of times people have thought that meant angels came down and slept with human women. However... Uh, the Bible is pretty clear that uh, angels aren't married or given in marriage, Jesus' words. Uh, angel, in other words, angels are not sexual or reproductive. So there's a problem with that view. It, it seems like what Moses is saying is the people from the line of Seth intermarried with the line of Cain, which made the human race way worse than it would have been otherwise. Therefore, the flood happened. We'll talk about that next week. But I digress. Let's get to point two. There are a few clues, three in fact, in the, in the family tree of Seth in, verse, in chapter 5 that are indications that Seth and his family are partaking in eternal life. Nothing less than salvation, eternal life. And it actually gives us some uh, ideas about how we can live as God's people in the, our, in the fallen world where we live. Okay, So I want to point uh, these three uh, clues out to you. Uh, did you notice how repetitive the list of people was? Uh, so-and-so lived so many years, had a child, lived so many more years, had more children, and died. And then it repeats. Uh, what do each one of those people have in common in the list? Long lives. All right, yeah, long lives. We've got, we got to talk about just real briefly. I mean, uh, some people say, well, we can't really take this Literally, right? I mean, they didn't really live 900-something years. Um, I, I think you can take it literally. I think it's probably the best way to take it. Uh, there are other theories, of course, but I, I think it's best to take it for the face. Um, in fact, most uh, ancient Near Eastern texts written at this time about ancient history all affirm that people used to live longer lives. But the difference between the Bible and those texts was uh, they would exaggerate it to almost mythical proportions. Like in a lot of the Babylonian books, they said, you know, King so-and-so lived 20,000 years and, you know, his son reigned 45,000 years. Things, things that defy even the amount of time we believe humans have even been on the earth, right? Uh, there, there's nothing like that here. Uh, these numbers are big, grant you, and kind of hard to believe, but they're nevertheless within the realm of the kinds of time frames that we believe human beings have been on the planet. Plus, uh, in, again, in the next chapter, God comes to Noah and says, Noah, I cannot bear with people as long as I'm bearing with them. From now on, people's lives will be 120 years. And after Noah, you see it begin to taper off steadily. Uh, they live 500, 400, 300, 200. And by the time you get to the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph dies at 120. And after that, no one lives over 120 in the Bible. And, and that's basically true today. Uh, maybe there's some people that have lived barely over 120, but um, maybe the Guinness Book of World Records has somebody like that, but it may be like 123 or something. 
120 has been the, the cap. And there's a judgment reason why we don't live as long as they live, right? Which we'll see as the story unfolds. So that, that's putting that aside. Uh, what else do they have in common besides long lives? They have children, sons and daughters. What else? It's the thing that keeps repeating at the end of every one of the... They all died, they, they all died right? You know, so the curse is continuing, even in the line of Seth. This just reminds us that even when you're saved and you have salvation and worship God, you're still going to die. Because the curse of death comes to all men. Uh, the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. And you can't get around it. And neither could they. Even though they lived 900 and some odd years, they still died. Over and over again. But there are three people on the list, see if you can spot them, where something unusual is said about them. Enoch. Noah. Not Methuselah, even though Methuselah lived the longest. But, but, but it, it says the same basic pattern with Methuselah, right? He lived a certain time, he had children, he lived some more time, had more children, and then he died. But there's one more at the very beginning. Image. Adam and Seth. So Seth, right? Those three, Seth, Lamech, or Enoch, and then Lamech at the end. Those are the three clues that this family is not just getting blessed with material things, they're getting saved. All right, let, let's take a look at each one of them. Uh, first of all, what does it say about Seth? Uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Um, th these are the generations of man. God made man in, the image, in his image and his likeness, male and female. He created them and blessed them. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his own image and named him Seth. It doesn't say that about any of the others. But it emphasizes that Seth shares in the image of God that Adam had. Adam was made in God's image. Seth was made in the image of Adam. Now, all human beings are born in the image of God, made in the image of God. But there is a special sense in the Bible in which someone who is saved by grace gets restored to the fullness of that image. Uh, in the, in the, the New Testament, for example, it says, when we come to Christ... We become renewed after God's image in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Okay, that's in the book of Ephesians, actually. We'll get to it several weeks from now in the morning. Um, we're renewed after the image of God in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And that, you know, that, that I think is really the, that's the heart and soul, actually, of what it is to be made in the image of God. Uh, we shouldn't think of the image of God, by the way, as like a physical likeness. Why? God's not physical, right? God has no body like men, and, and our body is not comparable to him. And so it's not that we look like God, even though it says image. The image of God means we are like God in some intangible way because everything about God is intangible. Everything about him is spiritual. And so the knowledge, righteousness, and holiness is the bread and butter of who God is, and it's the bread and butter of who we were meant to be in his likeness. Here it says that Seth, almost like he's beginning this process, he's the son appointed in the place of Abel. He's beginning the process of the renewal of human beings in the knowledge, righteousness, and holiness of God. Even though he ends up dying, 
He gets something started. The salvation of a person, the renewal of a heart, the restoration of the purpose that people were made for. To be made in the image of God means you're made to glorify Him. It means you're made to enjoy Him. Seth knew that. That's why he taught his son Enosh to worship God. They began to call on the name of the Lord in his day. He taught them how to worship. He gathered them together. He told them what God had said about himself. And he, he brought them to God personally. And y'all, if this was true of Seth in these early days, when they knew so little compared to what we know, right? I mean, how much of the Bible did they have? Well, actually, zero of the Bible, right? Because the, they had, Moses wrote the first part. They, they didn't actually have anything written that we know of. But they, they at least had the information that we find maybe in Genesis 1 and 2. And that's about it. And yet, even there, you have a man saying, my primary purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy Him. And... I need God, I, God, I need you to renew me in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness so that I and my children can do that. If he did that with the little that he knew, y'all, what should we be doing? Yes, we live in a world that does not support these things. Uh, the world does not see humanity as basically defined by the image of God anymore. We want to define people in a million other ways. Everybody, in fact, gets to decide how they define themselves today. That's how chaotic it has become. It's almost like there is no sense of a bigger person over me to define me. We're going to stand out like a sore thumb. But nevertheless, if Seth can do it with the little that he knew, having the Holy Spirit, having the work of Jesus clearly displayed before us in the gospel, we, ought, we have all that we need to do the same. To say, I have got a purpose bigger than myself in my life. Children of mine, the one thing I want to teach you before you leave my house is you have a purpose bigger than what you decide you, you have, or even bigger than your mom and dad tells you. God made you. God thought of you before I ever thought of you. God planned your life. And you have something to render up to him, to give up to him that will glorify him through your life. Isn't that good? Well, this is what one writer says. He goes, uh, in our affluent and self-indulgent society, the righteous must preserve the knowledge of the Lord. How difficult that was to do can be seen in the history of Israel <laughs> and in the history of the church afterwards. And we see it today, don't we, how hard this is to do. But yet, in an affluent, which means wealthy and well-off and self-indulgent, which means all about me, that's where our society is, what we are called to do as God's people is to preserve the knowledge of God. Hard to do, but very, very, very much worth doing. And the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives us is the equipment we need to do it. We have the knowledge of God living on the inside. Right? Which was more, I think, than we could say Seth had. Seth didn't know the fullness of the Spirit the way we know it today. He, he had the Holy Spirit, granted, of course, all people have who have been saved. But we know it in an abundant measure 
compared to what he knew. Now, let's look at the second uh, clue there. And this is um, Enoch. What, what a, what a uh, mysterious person Enoch is. It just says he walked with God after he had his son Methuselah. Which, which by the way, just that is a lesson. Um, not everybody who walks with God begins by walking with God. Um, not every child of a Christian family walks with God from childhood. Uh, sometimes you've got to chase the children down from behind a good ways before they come back around to see the Lord. Uh, in fact, in Enoch's case, it, it, apparently it wasn't until he had his son Methuselah at the age of whatever it was, 65, that he actually, he wasn't converted until 65. And yet it says he walked with God so closely that mysteriously he was not. At 365 years old, very short life for that time, extremely short. Now, most people agree this means Enoch didn't die. In fact, he's the only one on the list of whom it doesn't say he died. Clue number one that God is coming to change the biggest things that haunt humanity. Sin, death, the curse, all of it. God's gonna, God is coming to restore it. Enoch is like a hors d'oeuvre in the meal of redemption that the Bible serves up. The full meal comes in Jesus, but Enoch is one of the hors d'oeuvres. Hey, look what I can do, God says. I can take a man straight to heaven. And guess what? I'm, one day I'm going to take all my men and women straight to heaven. <laughs> Even the ones that die. Their bodies are going to rest in their grave until the day when I raise them up and bring them straight to heaven just like I did Enoch. Isn't that amazing? And the only thing it says about him is simply he walked with God. I love the simplicity of that. You know, sometimes we complicate faith for ourselves, for our children, for other people. We overcomplicate it sometimes. Certainly the Bible is, in a way, very complicated in, in some senses, Right? But in another sense, it is not very complicated. You either know the sound of your Lord God walking in your life and you join him, or you don't, or you hide. I mean, it kind of comes down to that. Um, is that, that ain't that hard, right? I mean, that's not that complicated. Uh, you either know the sound of the Lord God walking through your life in the cool of the day and you come out and join him. Or you go and hide like Adam and Eve. It seemed like all of Cain's family did nothing but hide. In fact, it says they went out from the presence of the Lord and built a city. A vast uh, scheme to hide themselves from God. But here it says Enoch came out of the woodwork. At 65 years old. When he had his first child, he came out of the woodwork and said, God, I hear you walking and I want to walk with you. And he started walking with God. Now, of course, when you walk with somebody, you've got to stay with them. You can't get ahead of them. You can't get behind them. You've got to stay with them or else you're not really walking with them. Sometimes I get out ahead of my wife when we're going through the store and places because I just have, a, I have some more get up maybe. I'm just in a hurry, I think is what it is. And I'm in a hurry all the time for some odd reason. When I'm in stores, I just get in like hyperspeed mode. And my wife has to remind me, hey, I'm, I'm back. What, what are you doing? We're not walking together. You're way up there. 
And maybe one of the kids is with me. The rest of them are with her. That's usually the way it works out. And I have to say, dang, I'm sorry. That's not what I meant to do. I have to drop back and begin to walk with her again. And that's what it is to walk with God, right? You're not getting ahead. You're not falling behind. You're staying right alongside. You're listening. Uh, the difference between me and my wife walking together is obviously God leads this walk in a way, very different way than I would lead or she would lead me. I mean, God is the heavy here. Big time. And so we do nothing to determine where the walk goes except just to be with him. Enoch did that. And that, y'all, is how we, in a self-indulgent, affluent world, preserve the knowledge of God. We simply walk with him. We hear the sound of the Lord our God walking in the world. And we get out of the woodwork and we join him. Now, the last one is Lamech. Lamech, at the end, uh, he dies, but he has a son named Noah, and he names him Noah because the word Noah sounds like the Hebrew word for rest or relief. And y'all, this is the, no the Noah, right? Um, and he's, look at what he says. Uh, look at verse 29 of chapter 5. He called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from my work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech looked at his son and said, you know what? I, God is going to reverse the curse in that boy's life. And through that boy's life, he's going to reverse the curse in the world. He, he may not have known exactly how that was going to happen. Maybe he didn't know it was going to happen through a giant flood. He might not have been as excited about it had he known of that. But that was what was going to happen. And we know, of course, through Noah, we all came. I mean, everybody in here is from the line of Noah <laughs> uh, because no other person lived on after the flood. And it was through the pattern of God showing salvation in the midst of judgment. The flood came to judge, but here was that ark that floated on top of the water so that Noah and his family could be saved. It was that pattern that God began to establish, which is the same pattern through which we're saved. In fact, the Bible says that when you're baptized, you enter into the ark. 1 Peter chapter 3. That baptism is a symbol of our salvation that's very much like the ark. Just like Noah and his household went into the ark and were saved, we and our households come into the church through baptism as a way to hold on to the hope that Lamech had. God is giving us relief. Through Jesus Christ. Wow. And so, I don't think, I mean, yeah, we live in a hard, hard time, I think, to be a Christian. But I think everybody has always thought that. Honestly. You know, at least in most times of history. We're not alone in that. And I don't think any of us can truly make a case that it was any harder for us than it was for, say, Noah or Seth, or Enoch, or Methuselah, or any of those people. And yet, that was never a reason in the minds of God's people not to step out and say, God, I know I'm here to glorify and enjoy you. I know how that happens. You've got to restore the image in me. 
God, I hear the sound of your voice walking in the garden. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to walk with you. Lead the way. And God, I have a steady hope that one day you're going to break the curse over our lives. And I'm going to testify to that by standing me and my, my household on the promises of God like Lamech did, like Noah did, and like the Apostle Peter says, every Christian does today. Is that cool? Um, you, you look at these chapters and you think, wow, boring, right? Just a bunch of names and numbers. Know that there's a, there's a reason why God wrote every single word in this book. Um, you know, God, God doesn't write frivolous words. Um, he's, he's writing this genealogy and all the numbers and names to remind us of how grace works. And the same way that grace worked then, grace works now. Because God hasn't changed. We haven't changed much. Right? Isn't that true? Human beings are basically the same as they ever have been. Now, we got some more tools to add to the tool shed than they had because of common grace through the years. We've got more advances. But we hadn't really changed. And so if we haven't changed and God hasn't changed, guess what? To be saved is the same exact thing. To not be saved is the same exact thing. Today, just to put it bluntly, you're either a Cain or a Seth. And the difference is, are you with Jesus, walking with him, or are you not? Right? Um, if you're a Cain, God's going to bless you. God loves to bless everybody. But it's going to be just stuff that's going to pass away. You really don't want to be in the line of Cain. It ain't good. You want to be in the line that says, I worship God, I know God, and I walk with God. No matter what I have and don't have. Make sense? All right, let's pray together, and uh, then we'll 